Over recent years, people have been telling me how much like my father I am. Some say that I physically look like him, and others say how my personality is like his. If I'm honest, I have to laugh at these times uh, because my family situation is quite different from what people expect. I am adopted, so the people that I call my dad and my mom have had no influence in my genetic makeup at all. So scientifically speaking, there is no way possible that I can look like my father or indeed genetically take on his character traits. But yet, I still enjoy an organized and a tidy house. I still endeavor to do a job quickly and finish it quickly. And the frightening thing is that people around the town where I come from are saying how much like my grandfather, McCullough, I am looking out, which for me completely uh, makes me laugh out of the town. Over these summer evenings, we are looking at what it means to be a radical disciple. Our guide is the book written by John Stott. Don't be concerned if you remember the cover of the book that uh, Christoph showed you the last time. Mine's different. I think it's the second uh, print run rather than the first. Mine doesn't have the nice John Stott picture on it. But it's the same book, The Radical Disciple, John Stott's last offering to us. And I've been reading it this past week and using it uh, as part of our team devotions on summer camp in Castle Wellm. And you really get the sense that this is an elder statesman of the church who is offering his views and opinions of how he has interpreted God's word over the years. And you get a very clear sense, especially in what we look at tonight, that here is a man who has finished his pilgrimage of life and ready to face the future with his Lord as he is called home to heaven. We started the series two weeks ago looking at uh, non-conformity and how a Christian, or as John Stott puts it, a disciple of Jesus Christ should not conform to the ways of this world. Tonight we move into the second chapter to look at the subject of Christ-likeness. And he suggests that this is a key characteristic for a disciple of Jesus Christ. Genetically speaking, I can't look like my father, but yet it seems that I can, or I have picked up on his character traits. Some of those I quite like, and some of those really annoy me, um, as I'm sure men in the congregation will appreciate. They thought they would never be like their father, but whenever they hit a certain age, they discover, frighteningly, they are. Well, this is what Christ-likeness is like. Although we have never seen Jesus in human form, we know his character and can become like him in how we live. And just like John Stott, I guess we have asked the question, how can we be more like Jesus? If we have been brought up in a Sunday school tradition that has uh, taught through the catechism or the shorter catechism, we know the first catechism. It's probably the only one that we remember really well. What is the chief end of man? Or, to put it more simply, what is man's primary purpose? And the answer comes, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But what does that mean, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? Stott suggests that this means Christ-likeness. Our primary purpose is to be like Christ as his disciples. This is how we bring glory to God. 
And Stott sums up the whole idea of Christ-likeness in these words. God wants his people to become like Christ, for Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. But this isn't enough. We can't just go on these words, so we have to go to the Word of God, the biblical evidence, and see what this means for us here and now. I would like to say that I could give you one verse that wraps up everything that is Christ-likeness, but as we've had our three sections of readings tonight, I'm sure you will have discovered that we need to look at the three collections of Scripture to try and understand what this means. And the first is from our reading in Romans 8, 29. And the passage says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. In Genesis 3, we read of the fall of humankind, what we call the fall. Adam fell from a state of relationship with God, and as he fell, he lost some of that divine image. Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Adam lost his divine image because there was that loss of relationship, that loss of close relationship with God. And as we thought this morning, we are made in God's image, therefore a divine image And we also suffer as a result of the fall of Adam. We lose something of that divine image. But through Christ, God has restored that relationship with himself. Conforming to the image of Christ or Christ-likeness is part of God's eternal predestined plan. In our second reading in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 we read and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit and here we have what is a shift in perspective of what God is doing not only is God's desire that we are conformed into the likeness of Christ but it is that we are being transformed into his likeness And Stott puts it like this, from the past to the present, from God's eternal predestination to his present transformation of us by the Holy Spirit, from God's eternal purpose to make us like Christ to his historical work by his Spirit to transform us into the image of Christ. This is happening as we earnestly follow Jesus. Our lives are being made into the likeness of Christ as we live each day following him. And in the third passage, 1 John 3, verse 2, we see God working to an end that will bring us into the presence of Christ and into his full likeness. The verse says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This verse doesn't do much to try and settle our curiosity. What will Jesus be like? What what will that look like? But what it does, it tells us that there will be a day coming when we will be like him. It doesn't go into the detail. It doesn't tell us exactly what it's going to be. But this passage should be enough to assure us that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him 
as he is. That's enough. We don't need any more detail. The promise of that is enough. In these three verses, we see three perspectives. God's eternal purpose. We have been predestined. God's historical purpose. We are being changed, transformed by the Holy Spirit. And God's final eschatological purpose. Eschatology is that view of the world hereafter, that view of heaven and eternity. Eschatological purpose. We will be like him in the age to come, in eternity. Past, present, and future combining to the same end, the end of Christ-likeness. So as we look at examples of Christ-likeness in the New Testament, Stott gives a general statement from 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In other words, to those who claim Christ as the author and perfecter of their faith, we must be like him. There's no getting away from the image that is set before us, the image that we are to conform to, Christ-likeness. And Stott, moving on, proposes five areas of our lives in which we are to be like Christ. So the first of which we are to be like Christ in his incarnation. This may sound slightly ridiculous to us. The incarnation, it was something that had never been seen before and will be nothing seen again. The incarnation was a truly spiritual moment. And we would be right to say that, that it's ridiculous to think that we can be like Christ in his incarnation. But let's think about what the purposes of the incarnation were. We are called to be like Christ in his example of humility. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Paul writes this with confidence. He says that we are to be humble. We are to know a humility in how we live because in the, in the incarnation, Jesus humbled himself to take on human form so that it would all end 33 years later on the cross of Calvary so that we would know the forgiveness of sins and the truth of the salvation plan of God. We are to be like Christ in his incarnation. We are to be humble in how we live. In John 13, verses 14 and 15, we are told the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Today, some Christians take the command in these verses very literally, and at a communion service will wash the feet of other believers. But this passage goes further in its cultural context. The washing of feet was the job of a slave. It should only have been the slave that did this job. But in this story, in this account, Jesus Christ took on this role. And so just as Jesus took on the job of a slave, 
Today, we are not to think of any task too menial for us as we become like Christ in his service. We are to be Christ-like in what we do for him. So not only in his incarnation of knowing humility, but in everything we do in service for him, we are to think of everything as Christ thought of it. Nothing is beneath us in how we serve his incarnation, his service. And the third area in which we are to be like Christ is the area of love. And when writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul commanded the church to live a life of love, Ephesians 5 and verse 2. They were to do this because Christ loved us and gave himself for us. This command to live a life of love is a command that impacts our daily lives. It impacts our behavior and our interactions with each other. And the reason why Christ loved us was so that the eternal plan of salvation may be fulfilled. Christ's life was dominated by what would happen in the final week. His purpose was to give himself to the cross and show true love in Calvary love. And by being like Christ in his love, we give of ourselves to our families, our places of work, and our worship and service. This is a love that puts others before ourselves. We're to be like Christ in his incarnation, in his service, and we're to be like him in his love. And fourthly, we are to be like Christ in his patient endurance. As a culture in Northern Ireland, we generally don't face persecution that others around the world would face for what they believe. Peter, in his first letter, tells slaves who are treated unjustly to bear it and not repay evil for evil. 1 Peter 2, verse 18. We are called to this patience endurance because Christ also suffered and endured it. This is an example for us to follow. The days of the Christian faith having government sympathy on our side and the assumption that our schools will promote a, a Christian religious uh, syllabus and indeed in their assembly worship, those days are going. We look into the future and see a society and a government that is becoming more secular and uninterested in the Christian position. Our days of persecution are upon us. We are to be like Christ and endure them as better days are coming. Days that will see the end of suffering and persecution. Days that will lead us into an eternity free from suffering and persecution. An eternity with our Father God. It's not easy being patient. But Christ gave the example of what patience is. To be Christ-like is to have patient endurance no matter what we face in our lives. The final area in which we're called to be like Christ is in his mission. And in John 20, verse 21, we read, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This, these few words are known as John's Great Commission. And since the time of Christ, the church has never lost that view of going into the world and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it seems our perspective on this mission 
hasn't been the most enticing. As Christians are, are quite happy to sit at home or quite happy to sit in the pew, but yet don't take their faith into the world around them. And there's an interesting little word. Jesus says that we are sent into the world. We must see this as a direct command and example from Jesus. Jesus was sent into the world by his Father, so he sends us. When we see our Christian activities in the world as a command from Jesus, we have the confidence to go because it is also his commission to us. And Stott remarks, as Christ had to enter our world, so we are to enter other people's worlds. We are to be like Christ in his mission because Christ's mission was always one of being sent. So the five areas in which we are to be like Christ, we're to be like Christ in his incarnation. We're to be like Christ in his service. We're to be like Christ in his love. We are to be like Christ in his patient endurance. And we're to be like Christ in his mission. As we draw this to a close, what can we draw out from this? What can we take with us into tomorrow and the next week? What is God saying to us about how we are to be like Christ in 2010, living in East Belfast or the greater Belfast area? I want to propose to you two applications. The first one is that of suffering. I think we would all agree that all in all, forgetting what we've seen on the television this past week, we live in a safe country. We don't face ridicule or pain for our belief in Jesus Christ. As we follow him, we are free to do so. We can hold public gatherings, although they have to be approved in some cases uh, by the local council. But generally, we are free to do what we want when we act out our Christian faith. But as we look at society, we start to see little cracks appearing, cracks of concern of how the future might look. Over recent years, we have seen people dismissed from their places of work because they have been wearing a, a necklace that shows their, their Christian faith. There are others who have faced industrial courts for offering to pray for people they care for in the healthcare sector and for those who offer to pray for their colleagues. In, the R, in, sorry, in our schools, the RE syllabuses and assembly programs are changing to take the main focus off Christianity and focus on embracing other faiths. So what suffering do we have to deal with? These cracks are there, but they're not major things just yet and may have absolutely no concern on our lives at all. So what suffering do we have to deal with? The suffering we face may not be the ones that are major in society, but rather the suffering we face in our homes and in our personal lives. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." 
Whether we face disappointments or frustrations, we need to view them in the light of this passage. We endure these sufferings for one purpose, to be made like Christ. We endure whatever we face in this world to be like Christ, that we may be mature and complete in our faith. I don't know how many people enjoy sitting beside the sea, sitting on a promenade and watching boats sailing out. It's highly unlikely that we ever see boats being tossed by the wind because generally the weather would be so inclement that we wouldn't be sitting out. But we've seen the pictures. We've seen the broadcasts of storms. We've seen them in the movies. Those boats that seem so calm can all of a sudden hit the most torrential of weather in oceans and seas. Waves can be so high that they can overturn a boat. Our lives, like the ocean, are calm and then all of a sudden turn upside down with mighty waves engulfing us, causing us unable to to breathe and feeling like we're being pulled down, down into a depth that we just don't know where to turn. We don't belittle or see these times as something that is wrong with us, but we should see them rather as times that God is using to draw us closer to himself. Times of anguish, being pulled to God and relying on his strength to face the next day. Christ himself, at that moment before he was arrested and taken to be tried and eventually crucified, If this cup can be removed from me, let it be. But if not, let it be. God wants us to know that in these sufferings, it is not direct punishment from him, and it is nothing that questions our faith in him, but to draw us closer and have the assurance that we are being made like Christ as we go forward with him in whatever is ahead. So I propose that firstly, today, we are to be like Christ in suffering. And the second area for application to consider is the area of love. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And as I've read this passage over years, many years, I find these verses both encouraging and concerning. The encouraging thing is that God loves us. Unconditionally, he loves us. It is clear throughout all of Scripture, God has always made a way possible for his people to know his salvation. 
And we can be confident that God loves us. And when we are in relationship with him, he will never let us go. But I've found in my personal life these verses concerning, and the concern comes from these words, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. How well do we love others? How well do we love our fractured families and its members? How well do we love the people we work with who make our lives so difficult? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we have a command to love. As we love those around us, some of the most annoying people we could ever meet, some of the, uh, the people who have hurt us the most, our command is to love because as we love, we show Christ in us and therefore the love that he has for his whole creation. And this whole idea of love can be difficult. It can be difficult for the reasons that I mentioned a moment ago. Those, those who have hurt us so much, by simply saying let's love them even though it doesn't matter whatever they've done, belittles the hurt that we feel. No, we must deal and work through the hurt, but we still must love. It is difficult, but John reminds us again, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. When we show love to fellow disciples and those in the world around us, God's love is made complete in us. And I dare say that each of us who call ourselves a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ, the one desire is to be complete, to be complete as God would have us be so that he will accept us as his own. Do we want to be like Christ? If we do, we must live as he lived. Just like the only way for people to see my father in me, even though it is genetically impossible, was for me to spend time with him. So we must spend time with Jesus to be like him. When we spend time in Bible reading and meditation and prayer, and fellowship with other disciples, we get to know Christ more and more and becoming like him. The radical disciple must be Christ-like in this world. And it starts here. It starts here as we think of the words that we learn of Christ in the Scriptures. It starts here in this place of community and fellowship. It starts as we acknowledge Christ as our Savior, desiring everything of him and nothing of us so that we can be like Christ, like him, in the world around us. I finish with a question of four words. How Christ-like are you? Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to you in prayer as a way of response in what we've just heard and how we've, we've seen you open your word to us, we like the idea of being like Christ, being Christ-like in this world. 
but we know it's not easy. We know that in this culture in which we live, it means that we will have to sacrifice. It means that we will have to give up things that we naturally don't want to give up. But Father God, you required of us. You want us to be like Christ because that is your predestined eternal plan that we would be conformed to Christ. So help us. Help us each and every day. Help us to become like Christ in our homes as we deal with everything that comes from that. Help us to be like Christ in our workplaces and in the places where we socialize, spend our time and our money. Help us to be like Christ in everything that we do so that as people see us and interact with us, they will see Christ. Help us. Help us in the difficult days. Help us in the days when we don't know where else to turn, but only to you. Help us in those days when we find it so hard to love other people because of how they have treated us. Father, give us the confidence that is only found in Jesus Christ and that living hope that he gives us so that we can be the radical disciples that you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close our time together, we'll use the words of hymn 512.